Hello, and welcome to Sharing Our Journey, a podcast from Harrodsburg Baptist Church, where we're all about sharing our journey toward Jesus. Before we hear from Dr. Paul Gibson, we'd like to invite you to take that journey with us. To find out more, follow us on social media at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you very soon. Hey everyone, Dr. Paul here. We are thankful that you're joining us once again for our Harrodsburg Baptist Church radio broadcast and for our uh, podcast. Uh, We're always thankful that you're tuning in. If you have any questions, uh, anything that the church can do for you, please do not hesitate to contact us at office at harrodsburgbaptist.org or you can call us 859-734-2339. If you're joining us for the first time today uh, in a while, we are in chapter 5 of a book called The Story. And the story is just an abridged version of the Word of God of the entire Bible that helps us understand the larger story of God's redemption narrative from Genesis to Revelation. And it also helps us ask, how do we fit into God's larger story? How does our smaller story or our sub-story fit into God's story? Because here's the truth. The world's still going on. Revelation has not occurred yet, which means that we have a role in God's story. We are called to be a character in God's story. Well, with all that being said, we're reading uh, from chapter 5 today in the story, which is titled A New Commands uh, or New Commands and a New Covenant, and we will be reading from the book of Exodus. So I encourage you to turn over to Exodus. We'll be looking at Exodus 19, or if you have a copy of the story in front of you, go ahead and turn over to page 59 as I will be reading that in just a few moments. So as you're turning over, I want to ask you a question. If I were to send you on a journey and not give you directions on how to go on that journey, how do you think your journey would go? How would going on a journey without directions go? Is such a journey possible? Where would you end up? Or if we were going on a journey together without directions, where would we collectively end up? If I were to send you on a journey, would it be fair for me to give you a destination without telling you how to arrive at the destination? The reason I'm asking about a journey is because at this point in Scripture, we know that the children of Israel are on a journey, otherwise known as an exodus, out of Egypt. And now we know they're headed towards the promised land. And we are more specifically going to learn today that God called the Israelites as they are journeying, to be His people. And then He gave them specific instructions for how they were to be His people. And then we're going to learn that after God gave them these instructions, He reminded them that He would never leave them or forsake them. Now, another way to say this is that the children of Israel were called to be the people of God by following God's law as they worshipped Him continually. Now I want to say that one more time. As the children of Israel were journeying towards the promised land or as they were exiting out of Egypt or as they were experiencing the exodus, the children of Israel were called to be the people of God by following God's law as they worshipped Him continually. 
You can kind of even break that sentence down into three different segments. The people of God, following God's law, and worshiping Him continually. So let's look at what it meant for the children of Israel to be the people of God. Page 59 in the story, or Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. Page 59 in the story, or Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord says this. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the word, words, Moses, you are to speak to the Israelites. It's a very influential, meaningful, powerful passage of Scripture because here we see God clearly call the Israelites His people. If you go back in verse 1, you see the phrase, first day of the third month. The reason it's important to point that out is because the nation of Israel had been on their journey or exodus away from Egypt for three months at this point. And God reminds them that He was the one who carried them on eagles' wings. And God was basically saying, It was by my divine, miraculous power, O children of Israel, that I led you out of slavery, that I led you out of Egypt, and now here we are. And God was telling Moses that He wants His people to know that they are about to enter into a covenant with the Lord. Now, if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham that he would bless him. That was God's covenant to Abraham. And here we see God solidifying that covenant. Some people call it the Mosaic covenant. I actually believe that God is solidifying the Abrahamic covenant here. And he tells the children of Israel, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, what God is saying is that He would fulfill His promise to Abraham and He wanted to use the Israelites to do so, but they had to commit to their side of the covenant. They had to pledge, they had to pledge their devotion to His covenant. In other words, God was saying, and He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I am going to fulfill my promise to you, but I want you Israelites. I want you, the children of Israel, to be my people. Pledge your devotion to my covenant so that I might use you to fulfill my promise to Abraham. That's why God called the children of Israel his treasured possession. You see, when two parties uh, back in the day entered into a covenant, there was often a treasured possession shared between the two people that would be a special mark of the covenant. And God was looking at His people saying that you are my treasured possession. You are my uh, special mark of the covenant. I want you to go and be my people and be a light to the world so that I may use you to fulfill my promise to Abraham. And we know that God wanted to use the Israelites, that He wanted them to be a light to the world because He called them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is saying to the Israelites, you're more than just people to me. You're a kingdom of priests. 
You're a nation that is holy. Go be my light and leave your mark. So here is God three months after the children of Israel left Egypt. And he's saying to them, I want to use you, but you must follow me. You must commit to my covenant. And if you do so, I will bless you. And if you do not do so, I will not bless you. And, and what we're introduced to here is an if then. If you follow me, then I will bless you. If you do not follow me, then I will not bless you. It's an if-then pattern that we are going to see repeated time and again throughout the Old Testament. That when the children of Israel decide to follow the Lord, when they commit to keeping their part of the covenant, the Lord blesses them. But when they turn away from Him, when they choose not to keep the covenant, God does not bless them. So this covenant commitment that the children of Israel are going to make here in, in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy very important because God wants to bless His people, but He's saying, if I'm going to bless you, the way that that is going to occur is by you keeping the covenant, by you following me, by you being my people. Okay, that's great, but how? How were the children of Israel supposed to be God's people? How were they supposed to know whether or not they were keeping the covenant? Well, the answer was by following God's law. So what we see on pages 61 and 62 of the story, and in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1, God gives the children of Israel the law. His law they are to follow. So let's read pages 61 and 62 of the story, otherwise known as Exodus 20, starting at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord, or that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And here we are introduced to the Ten Commandments. Now, the story leaves out verse 1. And again, understand that the story is the Word of God. It's just an abridged version. The story on page 61 launches right into the Lord saying, I am the Lord your God. But in verse 1 of Exodus 20, it says, And God spoke all these words. And the reason that I want to point that out is the Hebrew here is literally saying this is divine speech, glorifying speech, 
weighty speech. It's as if God is saying, you better listen because what I'm about to say is extremely important because he is describing, he is showing the children of Israel what it's going to mean for them to keep their part of the covenant. These are the commandments you are to follow if you are going to keep your part of the covenant, O Israelites, O children of Israel. And then he says this, You shall have no other gods before me. Now the Hebrew for the word you is is a second personal pronoun. Meaning that when God says you shall have no other gods before me, he is directly speaking to each individual Israelite. He is directly speaking to each individual child of Israel. And, And what God is saying here is that these commandments were to be taken very personally. For each, for each Israelite. And I encourage you to know as you're listening that God's covenant with His people here, it was a national covenant that required a personal commitment. Now I want to say that one more time. God's covenant here with His people, it was a national covenant, but it required a personal commitment. Another thing I want to encourage you to see about the Ten Commandments is that they're divided up basically into two sections. The first five commandments showed the Israelites Israelites, how they were to be in proper relationship with God. The second five commandments showed the Israelites how they were to be in proper relationship with each other. You know, as the people of God, the children of Israel were to follow God by following His law, right? But what that meant was if they were going to follow His law, they were going to be in a proper relationship with Him. And they were going to be in proper relationships with one another. Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments this way in the Gospels. Jesus said, The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, the first five that showed the children of Israel how they were to be in proper relationship with God, the second five that showed the children of Israel how they were to be in proper relationship with each other, and Jesus summarized it by saying, love God, love neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the vertical relationship, and love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal relationship. So at the heart of the commandments was not just rules. It was a relationship of love. If we are going to honor the Lord, if we are going to follow the Lord, if the children of Israel were to honor the Lord and follow the Lord, that meant that they were not going to make idols. They were not going to make graven images. They were not going to follow any other gods. They were not going to bow down to any other gods. They were going to keep the Sabbath. They were not going to misuse the name of the Lord because by doing so, through their obedience, through their faithful commitment to the covenant, they were testifying that they loved the Lord. And then by, um, by uh, not murdering, by not committing adultery, by not stealing, by not lying, by not coveting, and by honoring their fathers and their mothers, the children of Israel were showing their commitment to the covenant by being in proper relationship with one another. Or simply put, by loving one another. 
Now, I want to say something here that goes back to the beginning of this sermon where I pointed out to you that God was basically entering into an if-then covenant with His people where God said, if you follow my commands, I will bless you. If you do not follow my commands, I will not bless you. I want to talk a little bit about where we are um, as an American church, as a church for most of the, uh, through most of the world for that matter. You know, for a long time now, I have heard faithful pastors, very faithful pastors and Christ followers say, we need revival. And we need revival. I completely agree. But, but here's the catch. I think we can pray for change and revival all we want. But our world will not change. I really don't think we'll see the Spirit of God blow on our churches and blow on our communities until the people of God love the way they're supposed to love. Now I want to say that one more time. We can pray for change and revival all we want, but our world will not change until the people of God love the way they're supposed to love. That means loving God with all of who we are, making sure that our vertical relationship with the Lord is right, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves, making sure that our horizontal relationship with our neighbor is right. We can pray and ask the Lord to bless us, just like the children of Israel could receive God's blessings in the Old Testament. But there's that if-then clause, if you follow me. And friends, I think we're falling short of the mark of loving God and loving neighbor because we have placed so many other things in front of Him. I mean, that's the Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. And until we remove the gods that we're placing in front of the God, our Lord. And until we start loving Him more than anything else, and until we start loving our neighbor in a sacrificial way, the way that Jesus loves us, I don't think we're going to see change. I don't think we're going to see revival. You see, we can ask God to bless us, but it's not going to work if we're not holding up our side of the covenant to love Him and love one another. And God is gracious, and God is forgiving. But the asterisk or caveat there is we have to confess. We have to repent. We have to turn away. We have to ask for forgiveness. So we may realize that we're not placing God as the, the top priority in our lives. We may realize that we're not loving Him more than anything else, and we realize something's got to give. And I think Scripture teaches us that His grace wants to be um, placed upon us. But we first have to confess the fact that we're not placing God first in our lives. We first have to confess that we're not loving our neighbor the way God would want us to love our neighbor. You see, just like the children of Israel were called to be the people of God, we're called to be the people of God. And the way we are to be the people of God is by following His law, the law of loving Him and the law of loving neighbor. And when we fall short, we have to confess that falling short and we have to repent and turn back to loving Him and turn back to loving our neighbor well. But, you know, for what it's worth, and this is a powerful for what it's worth, God knew we'd fall short of the mark. That's why He sent Jesus. But He also did something... Um, in the Old Testament that, that I want to point out as I conclude the sermon. You know, you heard me say early on that uh, God called His people to follow His law. 
and then he called them to be his people and, and follow his law. But then he provided a, um, an opportunity to worship him continually. And here's what I mean. Page 67 uh, of the story or Exodus 33 Exodus 33, verse 7, or page 67 of the story, it says this, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord, or the much deeper Hebrew meaning there, means that anyone seeking out the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now turn over to page 70 in the story or Exodus chapter 40. These are the last five verses of the book of Exodus. Exodus 40, 34, or page 70 of the story. Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. God knew that the children of Israel could not keep their part of the covenant on their own. He knew that they would need a constant reminder of His presence. So God gave them the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. He also gave them a place where they could go and meet with Him, the tent of meeting, later known as the tabernacle, to soak up His glory and be reminded of the weighty calling of being His people. I want to point out the very last phrase of verse 38. It says, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And again, we read Scripture in English in the deeper Hebrew meaning here. Is that in the sight of all the Israelites during the completion of the start of their journey. During the completion of the start of their journey. And it's as if Moses in writing Exodus is saying, the beginning is over. The exodus is over. Now the children of Israel will continue their journey. And as they continued their journey, God placed the tent of meeting, otherwise known as the tabernacle, in their midst so that they could be constantly reminded of God's presence and so that they could go constantly to the Lord through the tabernacle and through the tent of meeting. You see, if Israel's story teaches us anything, it's that we cannot fulfill our calling to be God's people without being constantly reminded of God's glory and our need for His glory. Now I want to say that again. If Israel's story teaches us anything, it's that we cannot fulfill our calling to be God's people without being constantly reminded of God's glory and our need for His glory. 
And church, I encourage you to know that worshiping God, whether it's uh, together as a church on a Sunday morning or whether it's worshiping Him as we're singing in the car or whether it's worshiping Him through having a a devotional before we go to bed, whether it's worshiping Him by loving our neighbor well, worshiping God is one way we are constantly reminded of God's glory and our need for His glory. So when we come together as a church, whether it be Sunday morning or Wednesday night or in a discipleship group, and we're worshiping the Lord, we're being reminded of His glory. And we're being reminded of how much we need His glory. You see, we are just like the Israelites. We're on a journey towards God's promised land, and it's not a physical place. We know that it's being with God in a new heaven and a new earth as we read in Revelation. And as we're journeying towards this promised land, we need His Spirit, the Holy Spirit that the New Testament tells us dwells within us. So you see, we're very much like the children of Israel. We are called to be God's people by following His law of love as we are constantly reminded of His glory through worship. We are called to be God's people by following His law of love as we are constantly reminded of His glory through worship. So I want to ask you a few questions as I close. Are you a person of God? Are you part of God's people? Have you given your life to God through the life, uh, your life to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Are you on God's team? If not today, I encourage you to wherever you are, simply say, God, I want to be on your team. Show me how to be on your team. Or maybe you've fallen short of God's law of love. You're on God's team. You're part of the people of God, but you necessarily haven't been following His law of love. You haven't been loving Him well, and you haven't been loving your neighbor well. Now's the time to confess and repent. Or maybe you're doing your best to love. You're on God's team. You're part of His people. You just need to be reminded of His glory. How can you worship this week so that you are reminded of His glory? As we are all journeying towards Jesus, We are called to be God's people by following His law of love as we are constantly reminded of His glory through worship. Thank you for joining us for sharing our journey. If you'd like to join us for worship, we come together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Harrodsburg Baptist Church, 312 South Main Street, Harrodsburg, Kentucky. For more information, follow us on social at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. As you go, we pray that you will share your journey toward Jesus with others. May the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.